Hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The World of Percy Jackson. In this episode, we're going to read chapters 47 through 50. And in the previous episode, we read chapters 45 and 46. And we last left on Annabeth and Percy meeting Achilles, the goddess of misery, and had asked her whether they would be able to travel through a different type of traveling in which they would have to travel through the Death Mist. Um, It is kind of like the mist in the mortal world, but however, in the underworld, it is more of a way to travel between certain locations. However, there are very a lot of risks involved, especially for mortal attempts to travel through it. So we'll have to see how exactly this goes for Annabeth and Percy as they try and travel through the Death Mist to get away from the monsters like Polyboats and try and reach their final destination. So now we're going to read chapter 47. Percy. Chapter, yes, 47. Percy. Percy missed Bob. He'd gotten used to having the Titan on his side, lighting their way with his silver hair and his fearsome war broom. Now their only guide was an emaciated corpse lady with serious self-esteem issues. As they struggled across the dusty plain, the fog became so thick that Percy had to resist the urge to swat it away with his hands. The only reason he was able to follow Achilles' path was because poisonous plants sprang up wherever she walked. If they were still on the body of Tartarus, Percy figured they must be on the bottom of his foot. A rough, calloused expanse where only the most disgusting plant life grew. Finally, they arrived at the end of the big toe. At least that's what it looked like to Percy. The fog dissipated, and they found themselves on a peninsula that jutted out over a pitch-black void. Here we are. Nicholas turned and leered at them. Blood from her cheeks dripped on her dress. Her sickly eyes looked moist and swollen, but somehow excited. Can Misery look excited? Uh, great, Percy asked. Where is here? The verge of final death, Aquilus said. Where night meets the void below Tartarus. Ambeth inched forward and peered over the cliff. I thought there was nothing below Tartarus. Oh, certainly there is. <coughs> Aquilus coughed. Even Tartarus had to rise from somewhere. This is the edge of the earliest darkness, which was my mother. Below lies the realm of chaos, my father. Here you are closer to nothingness than any mortal has ever been. Can you not feel it? Percy knew what she meant. The void seemed to be pulling at him, leeching the breath from his lungs and the oxygen from his blood. He looked at Annabeth and saw that her lips were tinged blue. We can't stay here, he said. No, indeed, Aklas said. Don't you feel the death mist? Even now you pass between. Look! White smoke gathered around Percy's feet. As it coiled up his legs, he realized the smoke wasn't surrounding him. It was coming from from him. His whole body was dissolving. He held up his hands and found the way they were fuzzy and indistinct. He couldn't even tell how many fingers he had. Hopefully still ten. He turned to Annabeth and stifled a yelp. You're... Uh... He couldn't say it. She looked dead. Her skin was sallow, her eye sockets dark and sunken. Her beautiful hair had dried into a skein of cobwebs. She looked like she'd been stuck in a cool, dark mausoleum for decades, slowly withering into a desiccated husk. When she turned to look at him, her features momentarily blurred into mist. 
Percy's blood moved like sap in his veins. For years, he had worried about Annabeth dying. When you were a demigod that went with the territory, most half-bloods didn't live long. You always knew that the next monster you fought could be your last, but seeing Annabeth like this was too painful. You'd rather stand in the river Phlegathon or get attacked by a rye, or be trampled by giants. Oh, gods! Annabeth sobbed. Percy, the way you look... Percy studied his arms. All he saw were blobs of white mist, but he guessed that to Annabeth he looked like a corpse. He took a few steps. Though it was difficult, his body felt insubstantial, like he was made of helium and cotton candy. I've looked better, he decided. I can't move very well, but I'm all right. Achilles clucked. Oh, you're definitely not all right. (laughs) Percy frowned. But we'll pass unseen now. We can get to the doors of death. Well, perhaps you could, the goddess said. If you lived that long, which you won't. Aklis spread her gnarled fingers. More plants bloomed along the edge of the pit hemlock. Nightshade and oleander spreading towards Percy's feet like a deadly carpet. The death mist is not simply a disguise, you see. It is a state of being. I could not bring you this gift unless death followed. True death. It's a trap, Annabeth said. The goddess cackled. <laughs> Didn't you expect me to betray you? Yes, Annabeth and Percy said together. Well, then it was hardly a trap, more of an inevitability. Misery is inevitable. Pain is... Yeah, yeah, Percy growled. Let's get to the fighting. He drew Riptide, but the blade was made of smoke. When he slashed at Aklis, the sword just floated across her like a gentle breeze. The goddess's ruined mouth split into a grin. Did I forget to mention, you're only mist now, a shadow before death. Perhaps if you had time, you could not learn to control your new form, but you do not have time. Since you cannot touch me, I fear any fight with misery will be quite one-sided. Her fingernails grew into talons, her jaw unhinged, and her yellow teeth elongated into fangs. And that's the end of chapter 47. A quick chapter... But I think that there was a lot accomplished here, Um, especially how I think when we have when we see these monsters who are, you know, goddess of revenge, goddess of misery and god of wine and all of these gods and you see them and you see that this this word choice of using not. Aklas sometimes are not using Nemesis, but rather saying revenge had, you know, sheathed the sword or you can never escape misery. I think that wordplay is so well used here um, because it's not just Aklas or Nemesis at that point. It's revenge. It's misery. It's how you cannot escape misery after a certain point. It's how misery will always hunt you down. Or revenge will always be your second best option. It's wordplay like this that just it 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 focuses on rather not even the goddess itself, but rather the concept that the goddess brings. Revenge, misery, sadness, gloom, all of these things truly show how we are as a person as well. And these go- goddesses aren't just there in the book but it also they also show us who we are and how we react to situations like this 
And with something like the Goddess of Misery, we can only hope that Percy is able to find... Percy and Annabeth are both able to find a way out of this trap and finally be able to reach the Doors of Death and be able to defeat Gaia's army. So yeah, we'll be back. We'll be going away for a quick break and then right after we'll come by, come right back and we'll, f- we'll finish it off with chapter 47 and ch- chapter... Sorry, chapter 48 and chapter 49 okay sorry then my bad i miscalculated it's for chapter 47 to chapter 49 uh we'll finish it off with chapter 48 and chapter 49 and then move on to the q a session so see you then another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And we're back from the ads. And now we're going to read chapter 48, Percy. Aculus lunged at Percy, and for a split second, he thought, Well, hey, I'm just smoke. She can't touch me, right? He imagined the fates up in Olympus laughing at his wishful thinking. Lol, noob. The goddess's claws raked across his chest and stung like boiling water. Percy stumbled backward, but he wasn't used to being smoky. His legs moved too slowly. His arms felt like tissue paper. In desperation, he threw his backpack at her, thinking maybe it would turn solid when it left his hand. But no such luck. It fell with a soft thud. Aklas snarled, crouching to spring. She would have bitten Percy's face off if Annabeth hadn't charged and screamed, Hey! right in the goddess's ear. Aklas flinched, turning toward the sound. She lashed out at Annabeth, but Annabeth was better at moving than Percy. Maybe she wasn't feeling as smoky, or maybe she had just been had more combat training. She'd been at Camp Haplet since she was seven. Probably she'd had classes Percy had never got, like how to fight while partially made of smoke. Annabeth dove straight between the goddess's legs and somersaulted to her feet. Aklas turned and attacked, but Annabeth dodged again like a matador. Percy was so stunned. He lost a few precious seconds. He stared at corpse Annabeth, shrouded in mist, but moving as fast and confidently as ever. Then it occurred to him why she was doing this. To buy them time, which meant Percy needed to help. He thought furiously, trying to come up with a way to defeat misery. How could he fight when he couldn't touch anything? On Aklas' third attack, Annabeth wasn't so lucky. She tried to veer aside, but the goddess grabbed Annabeth's wrist and pulled her hard, sending her sprawling. Before the goddess could pounce, Percy advanced, yelling and wavering his sword. He still felt as solid as Kleenex, but his anger seemed to help him move faster. Hey! Happy! he yelled. Aklas spun, dropping Annabeth's arm. Happy? she demanded. Yeah! he ducked as she swiped at his hand. You're downright cheerful! Arr! She lunged again, but she was off balance. First, she sidestepped and backed away, leading the goddess farther than Annabeth. Pleasant, he called. Delightful. The goddess snarled and winced. She stumbled after Percy. Each compliment seemed to hit her like sand in the face. I will kill you slowly, she growled, her eyes and nose watering, blood dripping from her cheeks. I will go and cut you into pieces as a sacrifice tonight. Annabeth struggled to her feet. She started rifling through her pack, no doubt looking for something that might help. Percy wanted to give her more time. She was the bright. Better for him to get attacked while she came up with a brilliant plan. 
cuddly. Percy yelled, fuzzy, warm, and huggable. Aklas made a growling, choking noise like a cat having a seizure. A slow death, she screamed. A death from a thousand poisons. All around her poisonous plants grew and pursed like overfilled balloons. Green and white sap trickled out, collecting into pools, and began flowing across the ground toward Percy. The sweet-smelling fumes made his head feel wobbly. Percy! Ambit's voice sounded far away. Uh, hey! Miss Wonderful Cheerful grins over here! But the goddess of misery was not fixated on Percy. He tried to retreat again. Unfortunately, the poison ichor was flowing all around him now, making the ground steam and the air burn. Percy found himself stuck on an island of dust, not much bigger than a shield. A few yards away, his backpack smoked and dissolved into a puddle of goo. Percy had nowhere to go. He fell to one knee. He wanted to tell Annabeth to run, but he couldn't speak. His throat was as dry as dead leaves. He wished there were water in Tartarus. Some nice pool he could jump in to heal himself. Or maybe a river he could control. He'd settle for a bottle of Evian. You will feed the eternal darkness, Aklas said. You will die in the arms of night. He was dimly aware of Annabeth shouting, throwing random pieces of drake on jerky at the goddess. The white-green poison kept pooling, little streams trickling from the plants as the venomous lake around him got wider and wider. Lake, he thought. Streams. Water. Probably it was just his brain getting fried from poison fumes, but he croaked out a laugh. Poison was liquid. If it moved like water, it must be partially water. He remembered some science lecture about the human body being mostly water. He remembered exactly extracting water from Jason's lung back in Rome. If he could control that, then why not other liquids? It was a crazy idea. Poseidon was the god of the sea. Not of every liquid everywhere. Then again, Tartarus had its own rules. Fire was drinkable, the ground was the body of a dark god, the air was acid, and demigods could be turned into smoky corpses. So why not try? He had nothing left to lose. He glared at the poison flood encroaching from all sides. He concentrated so hard that something inside him cracked, as if a crystal ball had shattered in his stomach. Warmth flowed through him. The poison tide stopped. The fumes blew away from him, back toward the goddess. The lake of poison rolled towards her in tiny waves and rivulets. Akla shrieked. What is this? Poison, Percy said. That's your specialty, right? He stood, his anger growing hotter in his gut. As a flood of venom rolled toward the goddess, the fumes began to make her cough. Her eyes watered even more. Oh, good, Percy thought. More water. Percy imagined her nose and throat filling with her own tears. Aklas gagged. <coughs> the tide of venom reached her feet, sizzling like droplets on a hot iron. She wailed and stumbled back. Percy! Ambeth called. She retreated to the edge of the cliff, even though the poison wasn't after her. She sounded terrified. It took Percy a moment to realize she was terrified of him. Stop! She pleaded, her voice hoarse. He didn't want to stop. He wanted to choke this goddess. He wanted to watch her drown in her own poison. He wanted to see just how much misery, misery could take. Percy, please. Ambit's face was still pale and corpse-like, but her eyes were the same as always. The anguish in them made Percy's anger fade. He turned to the goddess. He willed the poison to recede, creating a small path of retreat along the edge of the cliff. Leave! He bellowed. For an emaciated ghoul, Aklas could run pretty fast when she wanted to. She scrammed and scrambled along the path, fell on her face, and got up again, wailing as she sped into the dark. As soon as she was gone, the pools of poison evaporated. The plants withered to dust and blew away. 
Annabeth stumbled toward him. She looked like a corpse wreathed in smoke, but she felt solid enough when she gripped his arms. Percy, please, please don't ever. Her voice broke in a sob. Some things, some things aren't meant to be controlled. Please. His whole body tingled with powder, power, but the anger was subsiding. The broken glass inside him was beginning to smooth at the edges. Yeah, he said. Yeah, okay. We have to get away from this cliff, Annabeth said. If Atlas brought us here as some kind of sacrifice, Percy tried to think. He was getting used to moving with the death mist around him. He felt more solid, more like himself, but his mind still felt stuffed with cotton. She said something about feeding us to the night, he remembered. What was that about? The temperature dropped. The abyss before them before it seemed to exhale. Percy grabbed Annabeth and backed away from the edge as a presence emerged from the void, a form so vast and shadowy he felt like he understood the concept of dark for the first time. I imagine, said the darkness in a feminine voice as soft as coffin lining. My bad. I imagine, said the darkness in a feminine voice as soft as coffin lining, that she meant night with a capital M. After all, I am the only one. And that's the end of chapter 48. And what seems to be the end right as of for an, as of right now, the end to Percy and Annabeth's story. And that was definitely a very fascinating way to go about it. And seeing Percy being able to react that sort of way and the way that it had scared Annabeth, it's very shocking to see because Annabeth has obviously seen Percy's powers and how she's able to he's able to control them. But I think just like how Percy had felt, a sphere had broken. So all this time, it's like almost like his whole potential wasn't released. He didn't have this potential that he had. This potential that he had, he didn't get to it yet. He was still, his powers were still stuck inside the sphere of, pa- of, of capabilities. And now that sphere is broken. I mean, is it mended back again once he calms down? Or is it just completely, you know completely gone is it completely broken Uh, i want you guys actually to answer this uh like let me know what your thoughts are on this Uh, just the fact that what's going to happen? what do you think is going to happen to percy now i mean what what is uh, what is going to be his capability with its powers is it now going to be uncontrollable because he's broken that sphere or is it going to be a way of him learning how to control with his powers now that he has more access to or more potential or more i guess opportunities in way in in certain ways that he can use his power now he can't just manipulate water he can manipulate poison so tell let me know how this how how what what, what do you think is the, that this is going to happen with percy i mean how is this going to affect him is he now going to become more arrogant or is he going to become more cautious regarding everything and is uh, his relationship with annabeth going to change Lots of questions, lots of answers. Let me know your thoughts down below uh, in the comments. And yeah, I will be excited to read everyone's thoughts. Now, we will not be taking a break here. We'll be going straight to chapter 49, Leo. And then we'll be ending this this episode off with a shout out and Q&A session. So let's move on to chapter 49, Leo. The way Leo figured it, he spent more time crashing than he did flying. If there was a rewards card for frequent crashers, he'd be like double platinum level. He regained consciousness as he was free-falling through the clouds. 
He had a hazy memory of Keon taunting him right before he got shot into the sky. He hadn't actually seen her, but he could never forget that snow witch's voice. He had no idea how long he'd been gaining altitude, but at some point he must have passed out from the cold and the lack of oxygen. Now he was on his way down, heading for his biggest crash ever. The clouds parted around him. He saw the glittering sea far, far below. No sign of the Argo II. No sign of any coastline, familiar or otherwise, except for one tiny island at the horizon. Leo couldn't fly. He had a couple of minutes at most before he hit the water and go splat. He decided that he didn't like that ending to the epic ballad of Leo. He was still clutching the Archimedes Sphere, which didn't surprise him. Unconscious or not, he would never let go of his most valuable possession. With a little maneuvering, he managed to pull some duct tape from his tool belt and strap the sphere to his chest. That made him look like a low-budget Iron Man, but at least he had both hands free. He started to work, furiously tinkering with the sphere, pulling out anything he thought would help with his magic from his magic tool belt. A drop cloth, metal extenders, some string, and grommets. Working while falling was almost impossible. The wind roared in his ears, it kept ripping tools and screws and canvases out of his hands, but finally he constructed a makeshift frame. He popped out to open a hatch on the sphere, teased out two wires, and connected them to his crossbar. How long until he went the water? Maybe a minute. He turned the sphere's control dial and it whirred into action. More bronze wires shot from the orb, intuitively sensing what Leo needed. Cords laced up the canvas drop cloth. The frame began to expand on its own. Leo pulled out a can of kerosene and a rubber tube and lashed them to the thirsty new engine that the orb was helping him assemble. Finally, he made himself a rope halter and shifted so that the X-frame was attached to his back. The sea got closer and closer. A glittering expanse of slap you in the face death. He yelled in defiance and punched the sphere's override switch. The engine coughed to life. The makeshift rotor turned. The canvas blade spun, but much too slowly. Leo's head was pointed straight down at the sea and maybe 30 seconds to impact. At least nobody's around, he thought bitterly. Or I'd be a demigod joke forever. What was the last thing to go through Leo's mind? The Mediterranean. Suddenly, the orb got warm against his chest. The blades turned faster, the engine coughed, and Leo tilted sideways, slicing through the air. Yes! He yelled. He had successfully created the world's most dangerous personal helicopter. He shot toward the island in the distance, but he was still falling much too fast. The blade shuddered, the canvas screamed. The beach was only a few hundred yards away when the sphere turned lava hot and the ex helicopter exploded, shooting flames in every direction. If he hadn't been immune to fire, Leo would have been charcoal. As it was, the midair explosion probably saved his life. The blast flung Leo sideways while the bulk of his flaming contraption smashed into the shore at full speed with a massive kaboom. Leo opened his eyes, amazed to be alive. He was sitting in a bathtub-sized crater in a sand. A few yards away, a column of thick black smoke roiled into the sky from a much larger crater. The surrounding beach was peppered with smaller pieces of burning wreckage. My sphere... Leo patted his chest. The sphere wasn't there. His duct tape and rope halter had disintegrated. He struggled to his feet. None of his bones seemed broken, which was good, but mostly he was worried about his Archimedes sphere. If he destroyed his priceless artifact to make a flaming 30-second helicopter, he was going to track down that stupid snow, god snow goddess Keon and smack her with a monkey wrench. He staggered across the beach, wondering why there weren't any tourists or hotels or boats in sight. The island seemed perfect for a resort, with blue water and soft white sand. Maybe it was uncharted. Did they still have uncharted lands in the world? 
Maybe Keon had blasted him out of the Mediterranean altogether. For all he knew, he was in Bora Bora. The larger crater was about eight feet deep. At the bottom, the helicopter blades were still trying to turn. The engine belched smoke, the rotor croaked like a stepped-on frog, but dang, pretty impressive for a rush job. The helicopter had apparently crashed onto something. The crater was littered with broken wooden furniture, shattered china plates, some half-melted pewter goblets, and burning linen napkins. Leo wasn't sure why all that fancy stuff had been on the beach, but at least it meant that this place was inhabited, after all. Finally, he spotted the Archimedes Sphere, steaming and charred, but still intact, making unhappy clicking noises in the center of the wreckage. Sphere! He yelled. Come to Papa! He skidded to the bottom of the crater and snatched up the sphere. He collapsed, sitting cross-legged up the sphere, and, and cradled the device in his hands. The bronze surface was searing hot, but Leo didn't care. It was still one piece, which meant he could use it. Now, if he could just figure out where he was and how to get back to his friends, he was making a mental list of tools he might need when a girl's voice interrupted him. What are you doing? You blew up my dining table! Immediately, Leo thought, Uh-oh. He met a lot of goddesses, but the girl was glaring down at him from the edge of the crater actually looked like a goddess. She wore a sleeveless white Greek-style dress with a gold-braided belt. Her hair was long, straight, and golden brown, almost the same cinnamon toast color as Hazel's. But the similarity to Hazel ended there. The girl's face was milky pale, with dark almond-shaped eyes and pouty lips. She looked maybe 15, about Leo's age, and sure, she was pretty. But with that angry expression on her face, she reminded Leo of every popular girl in every school he'd ever attended. The ones who made fun of him, gossiped a lot, thought they were so superior, and basically did everything they could to make his life miserable. Leo disliked her instantly. Oh, I'm sorry, he said. I just fell out of the sky. I constructed a helicopter in midair, burst into flames halfway down, crash-landed, and barely survived. But I, but by all means, let's talk about your dining table. He snatched up a half-melted goblet. Who puts a dining table on the beach where innocent demigods can crash into? Who does that? The girl clenched her fists. Perlia was pretty sure he was, she was going to march down the crater and punch him in the face. Instead, she looked up at the sky. Really? She screamed at the empty blue. You want to make my curse even worse? Zeus? Hephaestus? Hermes? Have you no shame? Uh. Leo noticed that she just picked three gods to blame, and one of them was his dad. She didn't figure that, He didn't figure that was a good sign. I doubt they're listening. You know, the whole split personality thing. Show yourself! The girl yelled at the sky, completely ignoring yellow. Leo. It's not bad enough I'm exiled. It's not bad enough you take away the few good heroes I'm allowed to meet. You think it's funny to send me this? This charboiled runt of a boy to ruin my tranquility? This is not funny. Take him back. Hey, sunshine. Leo said, I'm right here. You know. She growled like a corner animal. Do not call me sunshine. Get out of the hole and come with me now so I can get you off my island. Well, since you asked so nicely. Leo didn't know what the crazy girl was so worked up about, but he, he really didn't care. If she could help him leave this island, that was totally fine by him. He clutched his charred sphere and climbed out of the crater. When he reached the top, the girl was already marching toward down the shoreline. He jogged to catch up. She gestured in disgust at the burning wreckage. This was a pristine beach! Look at it now. Yeah, my bad, Leo muttered. I should have crashed on one of the other islands. Oh, wait, there aren't any... She snarled and kept walking along the edge of the water. Leo caught a whiff of cinnamon. Maybe her perfume? Not that he cared. Her hair swayed down her back in a mesmerizing kind of way, which of course he didn't care about either. 
He scanned the sea, just like he'd seen during his fall. There were no landmasses or ships all the way to the horizon. Looking inland, he saw grassy hills dotted with trees. A footpath wound through a grove of cedars. Leo wondered where it led. Probably to the girl's secret lair, where she roasted her enemies so she could eat them at her dining table on the beach. He was so busy thinking about that, he didn't notice when the girl stopped. He ran into her. Gah! She turned and grabbed his arms to keep from falling in the surf. Her hands were strong, as though she worked with them for a living. Back at camp, the girls in the Hephaestus had had strong hands like that, but she didn't look like a Hephaestus kid. She glared at him, her dark almond eyes only a few inches from her his. Her cinnamon smell reminded him of his abuela's apartment. Man, he hadn't thought about that place in years. The girl pushed him away. All right, this spot is good. Now tell me when you want to leave. What? Leo's brain was still kind of muddled from the crash landing. He wasn't sure he had her right. Do you want to leave? She demanded. Surely you've got somewhere to go. Uh, yeah. My friends are in trouble. I need to get back to my ship and... Fine, she snapped. Just say, I want to leave Ojigia. Uh, okay. Leo wasn't sure, but her tone kind of hurt, which was stupid since she didn't. he didn't care what this girl thought. I want to leave whatever you said. Ojigia. The girl pronounced it slowly as if Leo were five years old. I want to leave Ojigia, he said. She exhaled, clearly relieved. Good. In a moment, a magical raft will appear. It'll take you wherever you want to go. Who are you? She looked like she was about to answer, but stopped herself. It doesn't matter. You'll be gone soon. You're obviously a mistake. That was harsh, Leo thought. He'd spent enough time thinking he was a mistake. As a demigod. On his quest. In life. In general. He didn't need a random crazy demigoddess reinforcing the idea. He remembered a Greek legend about a girl on an island. Maybe one of his friends had mentioned it? It didn't matter. As long as he let, left, let, as long as she let him leave now. Any moment now. The girl stared at the water. No magical raft appeared. Maybe he got stuck in traffic? Leo said, This is wrong! She glared at the sky. This is completely wrong! So, Plan B? Leo asked. You got a phone or... Ah! The girl turned and stormed inland. When she got to the footpath, she sprinted into the grove of trees and disappeared. Okay, Leo said. Or you could just run away. From his tool belt pouch pouches, he pulled some rope and a snap hook. Then fastened the Archimedes sphere to his belt. He looked out to sea. Still no magic raft. He could stand here and wait, but he was hungry, thirsty, and tired. He was banged up pretty f- bad from his fall. He didn't want to follow that crazy girl, no matter how good she smelled. On the other hand, he had no place else to go. The girl had a dining table, so she probably had food. She probably seemed to find Leo's presence annoying. Annoying her is a plus, he decided. He followed her into the hills. And that's the end and that's the end of chapter 49. So far, I think that Leo has landed on the island of Calypso. Our good dear old friend Calypso. We haven't seen her since she had her encounter with Percy. So it'll be fascinating to see this because when we last saw Calypso, she was very, very um, elegant and very shy, I guess you could say, with how she spoke to Percy. And you could clearly tell that Percy and uh, Calypso were having a little bit of attraction to each other. Um, but unfor- But yet Percy had to leave in order to complete his quest at that time. So it'll be fascinating to see how Leo is going to go about this because we already see an attitude shift from how Calypso acted back then to now. I mean, she's already getting really mad and everything. 
So it's going to be really interesting to see the dynamics between Leo and Calypso because it seems like Leo seems to bring out a potential natural side of her. So maybe Leo won't be the seventh wheel anymore. We'll have to see. It'll be very, very fascinating. And I, I genuinely hope that Leo is able to find love. And who knows? Maybe Calypso is, you know, that potential person. So... I have high hopes for this, this inter- these interactions. So next week when we read chapters 50, uh, hopefully we'll be able to see some more of this interaction come to light. Now, moving on to our shout outs and Q&A sessions. Uh, once again, if I miss your name or if I miss a question, um, I will try, do let me know and I'll try my best to get it in the next episode. Um, there is also sometimes a reason that I don't answer them because they're a bit too personal. And... Um, uh, and it's totally fine to ask them, but I just feel uh, a bit uncomfortable at asking them at the moment. Um, maybe hopefully later on I'll have enough uh, confidence to answer them later on. But for right now, um, I'm going to put them on hold. So yeah, uh, moving on to the shout outs. Uh, we're going to, uh, we have number one, Zach Airy. I, I hope I pronounced that right. And number two, Dakota. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, moving on to the questions. Number one, do you like painting? Yes, I do. Uh, it's really nice. Very, very nice and pleasant to do. Helps me calm down a lot uh, whenever, you know, I just do it as an activity. Uh, next question is, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Um, next question is, favorite part of the book? Um, if I'm going to be honest with you, I think this interaction might be my my most favorite one because this entire book has been a lot of struggle and I'm a comedy type of person. I really like my comedy. And I think that this in these, this interaction is going to be very, very enjoyable to see. So I think that this is going to be my favorite part of the book um, overall. Next question is, will you be doing Sun and Star in the future? Um, I have heard Sun and Star is a um, spinoff book. Uh, and I have not yet decided whether I'll be doing uh, a season on spinoff books. But hopefully, if I'm able to, then I shall do it for sure. Uh, next question is, do you play any instruments? Uh, yes, I, well, I used to play clarinet, but that's it in terms of instruments right now. Um, next question is, do you know if Percy and Annabeth will marry each other if they end up escaping? I would love that to happen because I just love them together. I think that this, this trip of them being in Tartarus is probably more that the, that, that, they've learned about each other then i think anybody that it would take a lot of couples or at least a lot of people to learn about each other and it would take them years upon years for that to happen so i think that it's definitely fascinating to see that and i and i'd hope that they end up marrying each other because they really are perfect for each other um or at least stay together for a long time because that's amazing uh, least favorite Pokemon. I don't have one. I don't think I have one. Um, I really don't. Because I think they all have their stories to them. Every single Pokemon has a certain story to them. When you, at least when, when I was watching the shows, um, they all have their own stories to them. But yeah, I don't think I have a least favorite at least not yet. Um, next question is, what do you think of Coach Hedge being a father figure? I totally support it. Um, I definitely see it. 
I definitely see him being very, very, you know, that over that that overprotective father and ready to beat anybody who tries to touch his kids. I love it. I I, I think that definitely is a very accurate representation of who Coach Hatch is. Um, next question is, what YouTube channel do you watch the most, and which one is your favorite? Um, I. I don't really have a favorite. No, I don't think I do. I used to watch a lot of Dude Perfect and Mr. Beast. But other than that, um, yeah, those those are the ones that I used to watch a lot. But yeah, let me know when you what your guys' favorite channels are as well. I mean, I'd love to know what you guys love to watch on YouTube as well. Um, next question is, if you could have the power... Uh, which god would it be, Roman or Greek? I think the difference between Roman and Greek is offense and defense. I think Romans are more offensive, while Greeks are defensive. Don't that doesn't mean that they both that they don't have either one that they don't have the opposite one. Like Romans also can be defensive, and Greeks can be offensive. It's just they have a more dependence on either one. So with that, I would probably say Greek. Um, I think I like the balance of being more defensive than rather being offensive, um, in terms of my point of view. Uh, next question is, have you watched the show Gravity Falls? I haven't, but I know people that have, and I've heard it's a really good show. Um, next question is, will you read Kane Chronicles and Magnus Chase? Um, potentially, if, uh... Uh, again, with the Sun and Star, if I end up doing a spin-off series, I definitely will include Kane Chronicles and Magnus Chase um, in them. Uh, unless Magnus Chase is part of the original, of the whole s- series. Um, I'd have to do more research on that. So, yeah. I d- I'll definitely be doing everything that's part of the original Percy Jackson and is not a spin-off series. Or another, like... Um, branch of Rick Riordan books, um, which whatever's in, you know, the official, like, original, I would rather say, um, series, uh, from Percy Jackson to Heroes of Olympus, and then, uh, Trials of Apollo, and then if Magnus Chase comes afterwards, then Magnus Chase. Um, but yeah, next question is, would you rather be in Tartarus with Percy and Annabeth or, uh, or with the others? Now, here's where it gets interesting. I think that with Percy and Annabeth, I think that it would definitely have they. We would definitely be outnumbered at times, especially if you would get into situations where it was with Kelly. But obviously, they had Bob at that time, so I think that having a a third hand to them, them their help would definitely be great and all. And. However, with the group, it would probably be much more easier because it'd be easier to fight off those monsters. So in terms of monsters, it'd be easier to go with the group. Um, if we're thinking logistics-wise. So I'd probably go with the group in terms of just logistics-wise. Just thinking um, in terms of, you know, better chances. But Percy does have pretty good fighting skills. And so does Annabeth. So there's always things to weigh on both sides. But I'd probably just say it'd be the group just because there's more people. And it just, I guess, gives a lot more mental support. Um, But yeah. Next question is, will you be reading The Trials of Apollo? I do believe so, yes. 
Uh, next question is, favorite moment in the Percy Jackson series and Heroes of Olympus series and why? Um, ooh, that's a hard one. Uh, Percy Jackson, I would probably say when Luke regains consciousness for a few seconds and decides to sacrifice himself. That was, that was a good moment. I think that that was a really, really good moment. I really like that. Um, Heroes of Olympus series. Um, I don't think I have one yet. I'd probably have to finish this series and then probably re-answer that question again. So, if you remember, ask me again at the end of the series, and I'll probably answer them. So, yeah. Uh, next question is, if you could go to one of the locations in the book, where would you go? I'd probably want to go to Calypso's Island, if I'm going to be honest with you. I think the other places just have too many monsters, and Calypso just being on that island and nobody else... It, it it's just it's it sounds peace peaceful very peaceful i think it, i think although leo will have a lot lot of time feuding with calypso i think he's still going to it's going to be peace tranquility is going to completely is is, is there, it will be there so i think it'll be nice in a in 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 a way so yeah so yeah, those are my answers. I hope you guys enjoyed the Q&A session and the shout-out session. If you guys have more questions, do let me know, and I will try my best to answer them. And yeah, thank you guys for listening. And once again, until next week, stay safe and stay out of boredom.